This is a show about facing fear, unlocking courage, and taking action. Courage isn't necessarily a daunting thing. It's going to give you more purpose. It's going to give you more drive. It feels like making a courageous decision is going to get you closer to who you aspire to be. It's knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. You know, if you are curious and you get into an amazing organization some way, somehow, even if it's not exactly in the wheelhouse of what, you know, you want to do, you'll find your way. Like the, the cream rises to the top. I'm so excited for this one, and I got. There's a few reasons why. I mean, the first one is, and I, and I don't know if you would actually admit this. Let's start with Billy Collins, shall we? My business partner. I would say Billy would put you in the mentor category. Does has he actually ever declared declared you mentor? Uh, I don't know if you would admit that. Like, I think there might there might be an ego thing in there, but uh, but I, I think I would qualify if you, if you made him list out some folks. Hopefully, I'd make the list. Oh, I would say so. Yeah, and and, and just to be clear, there will be moments during the podcast we're not going to call Billy in, but I was right. like, give give me one professional zinger to ask Mike, and give me one personal question okay. to ask Mike. So there'll be a couple. All right, and you can try to guess which ones were the, the sure. Billy Collins. And which ones weren't? All right. First of all, it's great to see you. Congratulations on everything. You're you're kind of. I mean, you're almost like a, like a year, fifteen months in on the new gig, correct? Yep. Yep. For sure. So for you, how has the shift been? I mean, look, twenty five years like as an experienced, high performance executive, you you've done this before, building multi, you know, multinational brands, billion dollar brands. And now you shift into a new business. It's not really a startup, but do you still treat it like yeah. a startup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, the, the transition's been, you know, has been what, you know, I'm really thankful for all the people I get a chance to work with. It's been great. You know, it's been what I was expecting. I mean, I was, you know, over 25 years in an amazing company. And, you know, over the, the last few, I kind of decided what I really wanted to spend my energy and time doing and was really looking for that um, and had a pretty, pretty high bar to, to leave such a, you know, such a great company. And then finally, when um, the right opportunity came along, um, you know, that kind of met all the criteria. Uh, luckily, you know, sometimes you get a little nervous that you're going to open up the hood and find something else. And uh, luckily, everybody was exactly who they said they were and the business was what, what I was expecting. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's emotional to leave so many friends and colleagues that you spent, you know, 20 some years working with and, and, uh, not seeing or, or connecting with as much every day, but some of them are lifelong friends that I continue to talk with all the time. So I think, um, you know, the, the new team has been, uh, awesome to work with and, you know, we've been off and running. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, when you, when you think about a startup, it's, um, you know, it's not a startup in that like it's starting from zero, but there's certain, you know, processes and the structure and stuff like that that you're starting with a white sheet of paper and you say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna have to build this from nothing. Um, and I think they, um, you know, it's uh, it's on its way. So we're we're pretty excited. Now, when you say there's a criteria, yeah. like, is it a literal written your yes. click clicking box? Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. It's actually one of the things that I uh, I got from another mentor of mine that I give to a lot of people I talk to, which is, you know, have your list, kind of your make me move list, <laughs> you know, it's like, here's what would make, you know, that I'm looking for and actually write it down and work on it. Like you might write it the first time and then as you go and you meet people, you might refine it and um, you never want to be running from something, you want to be running to something. And so I think like, write down what you're running to. And I, I think I, uh, 
you know, at the time when I was, I was starting to look, I had uh, daughters in high school and I wasn't going to be moving until they were out of high school. So that was important. I wanted to work in certain categories, a certain size of business, you know, certain things relative to kind of ownership and, um, you know, what the, the role would be itself. And so, um, you know, I worked on that and worked on it. And, uh, you know, I think when I first met the team um, behind Raw Sugar, I remember coming out of the first meeting. Because lots of times you have these calls from recruiters and other people. And after about 10 minutes, you go, nope, we've, you know, <laughs> we're over, we're one for three or something. You just, you know, you don't want to waste people's time. And I think I came back from the first conversation, talked to my my wife and said, oh my gosh, we're, we're four for four. This, you know, we're going to have more conversations. But so far, we're heading down a good path. And, um yeah. And so, you know, because it's, it takes, you know, there's a lot of folks who, you know, it's hard to make that move away from, uh, you know, an organization going so long. So it was a helpful tool for me to be able to like, yeah, I, I checked all the boxes. Now it's time for me to, you know, see if I'm really ready to do this. I, I know you don't have to like unveil all four, four for four, but to, you know, for someone that's listening, what, what did you look at and is it a prioritized list? Um, it, it wasn't prioritized. I think they were all kind of equal in terms of what they need to do. Some of them were personal, like I, I wasn't moving until my you know daughter's out of high school. Um, you know, there was things I, I started to uh, really wanted to work on smaller businesses. And so where I can have a lot of ownership. So I was going to be a CEO. I mean, that was that was a piece of it. I wanted the business to be at least uh roughly 100 million dollars or larger um in terms of revenue because i was not a startup guy from zero like i i felt like i was more of a scale person i could take something i could scale it um i wanted to be in health and wellness and and um you know areas that i have a personal passion around and then there's things around kind of the ownership and are, you know are there people i want to work with <laughs> do i feel like i have a connection when i go and i meet with people and so that which is really important i mean you're going to be Kind of thrown into the trenches with folks and so do you feel like you have similar values um so i think all of those kind of came came about um in in kind of a pretty formal process where you go and say hey this is uh this is the criteria so it, it's funny when you look at your background and like even before work and look we're not going to talk too much about sports today because it'll be sure. humiliating for our sports <laughs> for me, right, yeah. Yeah, you're the philly guy so you're used to winning as a as a Washington sports fan. Well, we're used to getting into the final thing and then losing right now, but, but yeah. I'm actually Googling the word finals right now. I'm not familiar <laughs> yeah. with this term. <laughs> but, you know, if you go all the way back, like you you started as like a pretty badass rower, right? I mean, all-American rower. And hmm. I would love to know in your mind, what has rowing taught you about business? Like if the, you take a look at your time back then, is there like, a thread to how you go about your business or how you go about building teams that you learn from rowing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot, it was pretty foundational in terms of a change in kind of me as a person and everything. And I think, uh, one of them is discipline. I mean, and I think if you talk about team, I'm a pretty disciplined person in terms of like structure is helpful. Sometimes it gets a bad name, but as you, you give team structure of, this is when meetings are going to happen. This is when delivery is going to happen. Actually, it creates a, a lot of space for people to be able to do other things because there's not a question of, of um, you know, when things are due or, you know, how we're going to operate. And so coming in and providing structure, I think, is is pretty important. And, and rowing is a pretty structured sport. I mean, it's the those folks that, you know, are up at 5 a.m. six days a week while you're in college and everybody else is walking back from the bars and we're heading out to work out. And so, like, it... Uh, it is um it's a pretty structured um uh, sport 
And I think I think the other thing that happens is you start realizing that you know you work towards something over time, and um, it's continuously you continuously get better. Like it doesn't happen immediately. And and rowing is not one where it doesn't take a lot of you know. Honestly, it doesn't take a lot of skill like golf or stuff like that. I mean, you put the oar in, you pull really hard, you take it out, you put it back in again. I mean, it's you can learn pretty pretty quickly, but you get stronger and stronger and stronger, and you start realizing over years that you know that uh, continuous work ends up having paying off. You know, over those years, um, Greg LeMond, the the Tour de France uh, and the cyclist, had this one quote one time after he won his like third or fourth, and they asked him like, "Does it ever get easier?" He said, "No, I just go faster." You know, like and, and so there's a part where you know, the, the, the work kind of keeps going in. Um, and I think when you go and you're building a team or you're building a, a business, you have to realize that it's going to take many times, you know, years to kind of get where you need to go to. And that kind of showing up every day, putting work in, showing up every day, putting the work in is, is part of what, um, what you learn through that process. Um, and I think the last one is the team orientation. I mean, there's no individual if you can't, you can't take eight people are in a boat and say this one guy was the reason that they won. I mean, and so there's a, there's an element of uh, selflessness, I think, in working in teams that happens there. You know, this reminds me of a, so pre pandemic, I, I went and saw Reed Hastings from Netflix speak. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that somebody asked him is, is Netflix a sports team mm -hmm. or is it a, or is it a family? Right. He, he sort of chuckled. He's it's like, oh. <laughs> Yep, he was like, "We're a sports team. This yeah. is not. This is performance. Not not everybody's gonna play the same minutes. Sure, what's asked of different players. But when I look at what you're building at Raw Sugar, I mean, there's a lot of family going on here too. You just yeah. had your huge barbecue in L.A. Yeah. There's yeah. a watermelon contest, and someone was very upset that there weren't pictures <laughs> of the watermelon contest. That <laughs> yeah. so was yeah. it. Is it a family or is it a sports team? Yeah, I mean, I think the. Um... I think the people every day, I think we're, we're a bit, we're competitive, you know, we're, we're out there against the mission. So I think um, day to day, it's more of a sports team. I think when we have our family picnic and things like that, I think we have to recognize the way that a person is able to show up every day and contribute their best and be able to be, you know, fully engaged relies on the people that are within their family as well. And so like the reason why we do this is a great opportunity for me to thank the partners and spouses and kids and friends and everybody who, who are in their lives to thank them for what they do because they actually make it possible that that, that athlete, if you will, can show up and perform each day. You know, we're supportive. We, we work with each other out of love, but there's a, there's a aspect of keeping up the pace to the pace that everybody's operating at. That is an expectation and, and is a requirement. So I think we're going to do a little dance here where we'll, let's talk about your last life and then we'll, we'll move into Russia sure. just for a hot yeah. second. So like, sure. I think, I mean, like J and J or Ken view or whatever we're called now today, not a small organization, probably yeah. would put themselves in the sports team arena. Sure. What, did, what did you learn from there? I mean, there's so much you've learned, but it was like, if you could like sort of distill it down to one or two huge principles that yeah. you wanted to bring into this universe. Yeah. What would those one or two be? Yeah, I mean, there's a part even, you know, I, uh, children are going through college and, and even as they go to exit college, I would always recommend them to go to an organization of that level of quality because I think you end up learning so much through ex various experiences around how to, how to tackle problems, how to tackle issues, whether you're working on a global team or a local team or different functions or, you know, against different problems, against different brands. 
it's those kind of diversity of experiences that you get so quickly that allow you when you kind of get dropped into, you know, a, a new situation that allow you to make sense of it all and go, this is kind of like other problems that I've seen. Um, I think there's an aspect of how to, like, when you, when you work in a large organization, you can also understand how a business works because it's almost personified on, you know, there's a, there's a whole team of supply chain or quality or regulatory. And you want, you start understanding how all these things work together, that if you get dropped immediately into a small organization, there, there might not exist one of those functions. And you might not realize that it's an important aspect of, of getting things done on a, on a bigger scale and you might ignore it for way too long. And so I think, um, I think that multidisciplinary, you know, kind of um, experience is really important to learn so that you can kind of understand where you might have blind spots on if you were to go to a small organization. When I think of JJ, I imagine that there's layers and layers and layers. It's part of the deal, right? Like in, in some ways it's good. Some ways it's good. You're, you're, sure. you're well, well protected. But like, as you think about your communication style, I mean, you're managing up, you're managing across, you're managing your team. What what was your approach like for like leading teams across multiple levels of management? Yeah, I mean, everybody's got their own style, I guess, right? And uh, I remember there was a senior HR executive there who was trying to describe me one time. And she said, uh, you know, you're seen kind of as an agitator. I was like... <laughs> okay. I guess I see that as a good thing, but um, it might be, it might be other things. And I think as you're working through multiple layers, I mean, everybody has their different approach on how to do that. I was one who usually in the room would say what everybody was thinking, but no one wanted to say. And I think it, um, it is one of the things that um, I think is important in terms of getting business done. And even with our team today, you know, at, at Rough Sugar, I mean, our first thing on our values is, is no ego leadership. And like, there's, there's an element of being able to, you know, say when, when things, you know, at different levels of the organization, you know, don't seem right and be able to speak out about it. Um, and I think sometimes it's harder in a large organization, because I think it's, um, you know, it, it takes, it takes some credibility over time to be able to, to do that. And I think as you're coming up the ranks, sometimes it's harder to uh, have, have that courage to be able to speak up like that. Um, but yeah, I can totally see you, by the way, as a Philly guy, being like, "That is a compliment." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I, I thought it was a compliment, but it was definitely a tag where I was like, I, "I'm sure there's other people who don't see it the same way." Um, but it, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it all comes from a place of wanting to do the right thing and, and um, you know, wanting to move fast and move with intention. And I think in some cases you can get frustrated with that in, in a large organization if, if not everybody's moving at the same speed. Um, I read this in that there's a, a book called CEO Principles. I forget the author that, and I was reading it as I was getting ready for uh, for uh, this role. And there was a paragraph in there that was talking about large companies and small companies. And one of the the paragraphs that really stuck with me was a quote that said, uh, "In large organizations, there's so many smart people, so many intelligent people. The problem is they all think they're in charge." And that's usually what the the challenge is is that everybody's very smart everybody's looking at a problem from their own kind of functional or regional or, or p l perspective and um one of the things that is you know that is uh, liberating when you can go a small organization is the the clarity of decision making ends up being really clear so you do move much faster uh, i'm curious as you've shifted into this role you know it's co-founder business right it's ronnie and don't don't uh? Donda. Donda. Yep. Donda. So 
do you think or did they give you any inkling on hey you're coming into it it is a family and we want to be more of a sports team or was it already on the path of like no our people are aware that this is about performance what, what was shared with you or yeah it was more it was definitely more deep i mean they're they're they are you know um they're business people who've operated in uh retail and manufacturing for a long period of time so they they um they get the the demands the expectations from uh, our customers and, and from consumers so um there were certainly people who have been on the journey that uh hold a special place in the heart of raw sugar because they were there from you know employee number two three four that you know are are important for us to to recognize and and um not lose sight of as the business grows um but uh, they understand that it's you know we're here to win yeah it's pretty cool i mean you guys are raw sugars tiptoeing towards its its decade anniversary curious mm -hmm. to hear what the party is going to look like for <laughs> yeah. but like you, you think back to before those first real launch days at target and mm -hmm. that natural was like it may have been in the store but it was in the right. back of the store yeah you know you knew it was better for you but it was so you knew it was good for you but it was so expensive and now i mean as your daughters have grown up I mean, I'm sure they've seen a complete shift and like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. This is better for you. It's a better product. How do we make this accessible to all? Is that sort of the the idea here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they were ahead of their time in terms of making clean products. Um, and it took a combination of, um, you know, Donda's kind of creative vision uh, around products and Ronnie's expertise and in business and supply chain and sourcing and knowing kind of that this could be done. Um, and then in partnership with Target, who, you know, stands for affordable joy. And so there was this element of how to uh, how to make something affordable and how to make it wonderful. And I think one of the problems with the, the, the real natural products that existed back then is they could be to the mainstream consumer a little bit kind of intimidating, a little bit too granola, if you will. And so what they did was make clean products, but also in the design, it was designed for display and designed for the mainstream person who was trying to do a little bit better. And, um, you know, the white bottle and the bamboo cap, it's not, it doesn't scream, hey, this is a, you know, you, you pick this up in the, the small natural store in your, in, you know, uh, in your town. This is more of a mainstream product for, um, you know, kind of the millennial parent, if you will. And I think they hit a sweet spot in terms of the design and the execution. Um, and, uh, you know, we've continued, the business continues to kind of grow and grow because also the product performance is, is great. You know, we're, we're able to um, design the products from a quality standpoint that is um, really, really high level and, um, you know, make some of the choices to put product before marketing, which I think is, you know, one of our mantras is, uh, you know, great marketing gets somebody by product once, but a uh, great product gets them coming back over and over again. So. Yeah, in the spirit of courage, and I think this is more from what I read from like Donda. I mean, Target is basically the first one that says yes. It is a massive swing. It is a massive cut. It, it's not a small test, right? This is like go big or go home, uh, and a swing for the fences and. I think about your style with rowing, about being consistent and being disciplined every day. They're almost like, you know, against the opposites of each other. But then I, I did read that packaging and labeling was super disciplined. And so where do you see it's like the time to go big and where do you see it's like stay disciplined and let's go small and, and be smart about how we how we grow? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have to listen to both sides of the brain. I mean, that's one of the things that I love working with our team is we have both sides, both the creative side that you know are 
um, I've learned this word recently, who are polychronic, meaning they don't show up to meetings on time. And then you have the other side of the team who is monochronic, who show up on time and expect everything to be done. And I think as long as you embrace those two groups, um, you have a you know big swing at the fence. You're allowed to have some of those creative ideas see the light of day. And then, you know, you have folks, you know, me, the supply chain team, everything behind them going like, all right, here's what the minute order part is going to be. Here's what we're going to do the forecast. This is how we're going to, you know, build our analytics behind it. But you don't let that drive, you know, the big idea and the vision you want to have for the company. And so I think you have to find ways to make sure that both live in the, you know, in the meeting room, in the boardroom, in the discussions and give space for that. Well, you know, I like this poly. Polly and Molly, we'll call them. Polly and Molly, right? So, like, yeah. how, how does Polly and Molly survive a pandemic, like in this hybrid workforce? Like, yeah, is it when you say they they're showing up late? Is it showing up to a Zoom late? Is are you is everyone back in the office? What's your yeah strategy on all this? Uh, yeah, well, it's a good question. We had a um, we had a debate this last week because we were kind of working on our long-term plan and uh, got into this topic and it kind of blew the meeting up. And I, I'm deciding we're, we can't put that in the middle of like a strategic planning conversations, kind of, you know, world predictions. But um, we've hit, I think, a, a pretty good sweet spot. I spent some time with employees um, last week around, you know, how, how people are feeling about it. Um, and we have a blend of both. We have uh, our critical masses in L.A., um, a lot of our teams out there uh, will meet a couple of days a week in the office, um, you know, by function um, and, and have those meetings. We're there as a total company once a quarter. And then, frankly, we, we're out on the front lines a lot. We're with uh, customers, we're with suppliers, we're at conferences. And when we do that, it's important for us to bring along those leaders that need um, training, education, you know, leadership kind of exposure. Um, you know, you can do that in the hallways of a big company. Um, lots of times that, that does happen in a smaller company. Um, you're spread a little bit thinner to be able to do that. So what's important is to bring them along on those, those trips, those customer meetings, those interactions for them to get the experience with leadership and have some quality time, whether it's waiting for a flight or, uh, you know, getting ready for a meeting. Um, so I think we kind of have this uh, multi-pronged approach to it, um, that right now I think is, I think is working, um. You know, certainly with an LA base, um, we want to keep people not on the highways and productive and healthy. And so it's uh, yeah, eliminating the commute uh, five days a week, I think, is also something they really value. I mean, we got to be careful when talking about pandemics for all obvious reasons, but it did feel like the hand wash part of your business yeah. kind of got noticed. And that was sort of a gateway to the rest of your, yep. you know, your brands, your, your, your categories. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. So in 2020, um, yeah, the hand wash took off because one, we had some really smart people doing some great things from supply. So we had supply during that time. Um, and um, Target recognized us actually as their vendor of the year in the category. And so we were um, really proud of that factor. And it got a lot of brand awareness and, and you know, the quality of our product in consumers' hands in 2020. Uh, when everything came back to earth in 2021 from a hands-up standpoint, the business actually grew in 2021. But it was because when they came back uh, to the stores, they had a great experience with the hands-up and they bought body wash and hair care and kids and men's. And and so um, it definitely lit a spark that allowed the, the business to have a much stronger uh, awareness. And so um, it... Uh, 
yeah, we're glad we were there for people when they needed product um, and we're able to deliver. And it's nice to have them come back and reward us for um, good service and good, good quality products. You're in so many different categories now. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not like you're in one aisle, you're across aisle. And yeah. how does that help you or, or how does that hurt you? Maybe is a better way to say it when you're like trying to like articulate the story. Sure. Does the buyer get it? Do they get the full picture story all the time? Yeah, I, well, not all the time. I mean, sometimes we have to spend some time on it. But the, um, you know, if you take back to the very beginning of why brands existed, you know, back in the, you know, late, you know, early 1900s and why brands were created is they ended up being a mark of trust that the quality of the product they were buying was at a certain level of expectations. And I think what's happened in the last uh, the last decade or so is that within categories, there are certain brands that are standing for clean products that they know don't have things that are going to surprise them. And when you stand for that as a brand, you um, can go into categories where consumers feel like the the need is not being met and meet that need. And that's why we've I think had a lot of success across multiple categories because. That's the way consumers see us. And we also do it as we come in, not by taking the price points in the category and, and jacking them up two times at a very affordable price point. So I think that has worked. And, um, you know, and then there, we usually have kind of at, a, at any given retailer, kind of a, a sponsor buyer who kind of sees the whole vision that we partner with that um, can help us kind of navigate through different kind of retail challenges to make sure that we can, we can present ourselves as one holistic brand. Going back to the very beginning again on on your J and J days, but I I find it fascinating. You don't run into too many financial analysts that end up as global group sure. brand directors. Yeah. Did you? I mean, maybe the simpler question is like, how did you go from hey focusing on the money? I mean, even today you're in the business of delivering brand love. You know, this is sure, yeah. So talk to me about that shift and how you see it as a competitive advantage as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I mean, when I sit down and I talk, especially kind of you know people my daughter's age and and you know people who are starting out their careers, the one thing I really focus on with them is um, about being curious and curiosity and feeding that and and being innately curious. And I think what ended up happening is when I was in finance and you know in different roles, when you started asking why you were doing something, why was this important, why who does this go to, what and you, you kind of were a little annoying with your fifty-seven questions to people. You end up finding folks who are who are actually really excited to be able to sit down and explain, you know, explain the context of what you're working on to you. And as you start kind of getting more and more context, you start realizing where the um, uh, you know, where the business decisions are being made and, and that curiosity ends up kind of, um, you know, building your, your uh, knowledge and foundation. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was in finance for a few years and then saw that a lot of the decisions in on brands and consumer goods were being made in brand marketing and worked my way over there. And, you know, I, uh, you know, just kept asking questions and, you know, ended up, you know, feeding that curiosity. And I think that's what, uh, that, what led down that, down that path. I mean, now it's just part of the timeline, but if you could go back to that, I mean, that is a leap. It is a courageous leap. Sure. Do you remember it being like, is this the right decision for me? Or did you just know and go? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a curiosity because the last person in finance who went over to marketing ended up getting, uh, 
getting fired about six months later. So I got a lot of warnings going like, oh, well, you usually don't do this. It's a, you know, it's a tougher thing. Most of the recruiting was out of, you know, kind of top MBA schools and I didn't have an MBA. And so, um, but I knew like I, I wanted to do something kind of on a broader business standpoint. So it was either like do this and take a leap or go back to business school or doing something that was pretty young. And, you know, there's a lot of other options over there. And in many cases, a lot of those leaps, um, I go back to, you know, mentors and sponsors and people in my life who were like, you know, you really felt there for me. Um, my first manager, you know, or leader in marketing, um, who kind of sponsored me to come over. Uh, I think I talked to him last Friday. I mean, it's now, you know, you know, 25 uh, years later, um, that, um, you know, it was a sponsor and you felt it, you felt um, supported by having somebody who really wanted you to be there. And, and, you know, it was there when you messed up. And, um, you know, I remember, I still remember bringing in the office and bringing me the ride act when I screwed up a few times, but then let me, let me uh, go back and, and, uh, you know, continue to kind of thrive in, in the organization. So um, no, I think, I think it was, uh, I think some of those leaps um, early on in your career are really good to, to make. And, um you know, they usually work out if not, if not for the specific role, but in terms of like building your confidence to be able to do those more. I don't feel like this is a, as much of a problem for this next generation workforce. I think they're making leaps, like almost too many leaps personally, but I, you know, that's just from my own perspective. Uh, all right. This is a Billy Collins special here. So here we go. Uh, look, you've, you've got two amazing daughters. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from being a, this is his language, hashtag girl dad. And I think the second part, typical two-parter for Billy, um, when you did relocate down to Tampa and you brought your family, like, how'd you know it was time to like lay down roots in this new place? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the first one, I don't know that the list is really long about what I've learned from the girls on, uh, you know, how to leave. Um, I think some of the best, you know, things are stories to tell versus just, you know, uh, business jargon. Um, I always go back to a moment in uh, during the pandemic when we're trying to decide, are we bringing people back in the office or not? And a huge debate and as a leader, and I'm running an office in Florida um, and there's all kinds of, you know, different pressures, two days a week, three days a week we're going to do. And um, we're sitting around the table and, and I, you know, when they get older, I was able to share a lot of, you know, things that were on my mind with them and they were very smart, um, uh, smart women that could, uh, you know, give me perspective. And my oldest daughter, Julia, who's an environmental science and ecology major at uh, Emory and very, you know, uh, sustainably minded, um, goes to me, why don't you do what you do for climate change for the office? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, say, you'll come back in 2050. Because that's on, you know, corporations make these long-term environmental you know, commitments in 20 or 30 years. And, you know, this one seems to be very urgent for getting people out of the office, but your climate change one doesn't seem to be as, uh, as aggressive. And, there, you know, she was being kind of facetious about the whole thing. But I remember as a, um, you know, just as a leader listening to it going like, yeah, you know, the especially her generation, some of the commitments that have been made in the past relative to, um, you know, uh, climate change and sustainability are almost laughable to her generation. And so I think it's, it's one of the things that was, I don't know, I think I always remember that story, because I think, you know, I will, whatever roles I'm in, I will kind of, you know, probably never commit to something that is, you know, 
15 years out as a commitment to my organization <laughs> because I think it's it's uh, it ends up being um, kind of laughed off. Um, but I mean, day to day, I mean, I'm I'm learning from them, especially as it relates to you know how to market to a different uh, generation of consumers. So it's been uh, it's been wonderful. It's super tricky as a creative, right? Because it's like you have to worry about oh, family focus groups. Like, there's so many family focus groups, uh, war like stories that like just get my get me a little nervous. Like, oh well, the the, the CEO's wife liked this idea. So sure. you know, but but I find I'm doing it too with my kids. Like, yeah. they're the ones living in this this fast paced world, and totally, yeah. And, and like, how am I creating a better world for them? And there, I undeniably, this next generation, what I love about them is it's a little cliche to say it, but they wear their values on their sleeves. They, they yeah. vote for, with their dollars. They're not going to wear or support something that's not in line with their value system. So yeah. it's very much real. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, um, you know, they've, they've been, uh, you know, amazing you know, partners on this whole journey. Um, and uh, moving down here, I mean, it was, you know, moving down to Florida was a little bit of a, um, uh, I never would have, you know, if you would have told the guy from Philly I was moving to Florida, I would have laughed at you. Like, I, I never thought I would be down here. And I think when we, um, when we purchased the, uh, the company at J and J and, and I started commuting, I knew the community thing wasn't working for me and my family. And we decided we were going to move. Um, and, uh, you know, and we thought it was, you know, for a short period of time. Um, I think probably the pandemic and everything kind of extended some of that. And, and, uh, you know, we were kind of, uh, locked in place and and i think also like a lot of people um over the course of that time probably our values and our priorities in life changed over the course of that and um decided to you know um we've been here now six years and decided to make this a bit of a home base um uh, and um we'll see where we'll see where the world world takes us next but um but it's been it's been a good journey so far Billy just assumed because there was a Wawa nearby is why you really moved down there. Yeah, it was. I was very pleasantly. Surprised. The funny thing is, is with the Phillies in Clearwater, there's like a small little contagion of uh, Philadelphia down here from Wawa to a a really good Eagles bar that I can go watch the Eagles at. That is not. Uh, it's not the highbrow Eagles fans either. It's like the good uh, Eagles fans. <laughs> usually, there's usually some uh, some craziness going on at. Uh, we call that home. I'm yeah, sure, exactly. right? That's just home. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, if you could go back and change, you know, like 25 years of some pretty serious rooms, some serious, seriously professional rooms, but if if there was one decision that you would have changed of your career, you know, what what would that have been? If there's like one place that maybe like I I should have done this versus that, or or what's your even philosophy on like looking back and being like, huh, that yeah. would have been interesting if I would have done that different. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that you often get caught in that is, um, you know, th there's a lot of folks, I think, especially in the U.S., that are very resistant to pick up and move their families, move their young families um, away from family and friends and support network and stuff like that. And um, I was one of those, for sure. You know, like, and you would, you would say all the right things of, yeah, I'm open to it. And then, you know, the offer would come and you would come up with some reason why it didn't work for you. And um and I think it's uh, it's one of the best things you can do for your children. Like, and, and it's one of the it's one of the even today they would tell you that um, they're better people because they picked up and had to move and had to simulate to in school and you know get a different environment, the pros and cons of it and everything. And I think it's one of the I, I look back and pro those opportunities were probably presented to me 
earlier when you know my children were younger um and i think having that courage to make some of those moves a bit earlier i think is one of the things that um you know, might have opened up some some different doors, but I think also just make everybody a bit a bit stronger and tighter as a family, um, because it does, it, you know, it definitely does happen. It's just you see it you see it time and again, and it, it's hard to get that perspective. I think when you're chasing around a you know a four and a two year old, and you know, saying, oh my "Gosh, I need all these people in my life to help me make things work," um, and it's working out, you know. And um, I think that leap is one that is hard for people to see and make. Well, I like the resilience that's built into families or your kids when you do make a shift and like i live in san diego california i don't have to have the conversation with my wife i know she's not interested in moving somewhere else right but but i like that like barely any of my clients are here like i'm always on a plane and most people would be like oh isn't that doesn't that bother you i'm like no my kids are smart enough even at 10 and 7 to know that like, yes, it takes hard work to yeah. live in a place like this. And if that means daddy has to be on a plane, thank sure. goodness for FaceTime, yeah. Right? Yeah. then then that, that at least there's a lesson in almost all of my decisions. The first layer now is like, how will the family sort of marinate in this? Will they get it? And, yeah. and so yeah. Yeah, do I like, it would be nice to have a couple clients in San Diego. That would be nice. <laughs> but like, but I'm sure you feel the same way being in Florida. Yeah. I mean, how, how often are you in California now? Yeah, we're there um, at least every quarter plus a couple other times. Um, but as I see most of the leadership team, you know, be in Cincinnati, day after tomorrow with folks, like, you know, and so we, we, um, we're traveling quite a, bu- a bunch to meet with customers and everything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this work from home thing plus travel, I think is a fairly good, uh, good balance as long as, you know, folks are willing to to do it. Um, it just would have, it would have been harder, I think, on the family, you know, at a different stage of life. So 15 months in at Raw Sugar, let's say you, you, you come back 15 months from now. Mm-hmm. What, what will you have, like, oh, would be you most proud of that you've sort of helped accelerate at the business? Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that, um, when you have a founder-based business, you have these founders who are, you know, have the passion and they start pulling people out, but they have the vision and they're doing everything, right? And you, you know, everything under the sun and working like crazy. And then as you go and you bring in, you know, a level of uh, support and, you know, kind of professionalism at the top at different things, you usually bring in kind of the top executive team, which we which we have done. And we've gotten some great talent that is running marketing and supply chain and sales, finance, et cetera. And, um, but where an, an organization really takes off is when the folks, you get a, a, a group of folks underneath them that are hungry and passionate to, to learn and drive the business and they're empowered to do the work. Um, and that's where we've really been building, you know, some really strong talent and bringing them in because they're the ones who, the kind of organization I want to run is that they feel empowered to go get after it. You know, they understand what the brand is about, what our goals are. And they can go out and get after it. And, you know, when they come back to leaders, it's more telling us about their wins and their challenges and what they need help on. Um, and that's where I think in 15 months, having an organization that is filled with people who are passionate about what we're trying to do and um, can operate kind of independently, not everything being run up through a set of uh, a set of folks, I think is um, is kind of the vision. And I think we'll really be uh, really be winning uh, then. 
look, brand that is brand love as far as I'm concerned. And I, I think one of the things that you wish more organizations got, it's like, P.S., what you're telling the outside world, you should probably operationalize on the inside. And so I, I'm curious how brand love, like, how have you taken that and where else have you seen it? And obviously, we just talked about inside the organization. You want to amplify it. But how is it landing in the outside world as well? Yeah, I mean, um, I can give one example. One of the things is our kids line that I think from a brand love standpoint is, you know, it was launched, great packaging, you know, wonderful sense. And, you know, in a in an aisle that you can imagine with kids that there weren't a lot of clean products for kids. And so it was a lot of licensed product and the formulas were were not stuff that adults were using, which was kind of, it's kind of crazy that you would be, you know, using salt baits or, you know, preservative systems and stuff like that on the kids that, you know, um, a lot of adults wouldn't use. And so we went in, we disrupted that and we're, you know, a lot of great success on it. But I think um, when you think about brand love, when you start to talk to, you know, parents with kids, you know, bath time is not just, you know, washing in great sense, but it's, it's definitely playtime as well, especially with those toddlers. And um, we recently launched a product that was um, slime, right? It's a slime that you can use as a body wash, right? Which parents, you know, hate slime, but this is one that rinses off, right? It's not going to stick to the walls. It rinses off like a body wash. But when you think about like the brand ethos and the brand love that we have, you know, we first make the slime and we don't have any artificial colors in any of our products. So we get the sample of the slime and it's clear and it just looks like boogers, right? It's just like, it's like, this isn't fun. This just looks like a clear gel. Yeah, we got to make it green or pink or something like that. Um, so it's our first colored product, but actually we use chlorophyll. Um, so we use natural chlorophyll is the green that's in there um, versus any kind of artificial dyes. Um, which I think it's pretty cool because you're kind of going and saying like, yeah, people come to our brand because they want to make sure it's free of, you know, all the things that are, they're concerned about. And so, but we also were listening to the kids and saying like, we need to, we need to have something that's a little bit of fun factor. So it's a pretty cool story. I, I instantly think of Ghostbusters. Like, exactly. back, yeah. You know, yeah. That is brand love and it's doing what's right for the consumer for sure. All right. Uh, look, there's a lot of future Billy Collins out there in the world. Um, and so in the spirit of, I just think we have a lot of people that listen that are, they, they are curious people. They, they do want to advance in their careers. What advice or like, if you're going to like take us home a one, two, three on how they should go about, and you've already said, stay curious. Like let's be curious in what you take on. What other pieces of, of snippets of advice can you give out? Yeah, I mean, someone said to me once, so I thought it was great advice, take like the worst job at the best organization versus the best job at the worst organization. And I think there's some truth to it. Like, and you, you know, if you are curious and you get into an amazing organization some way, somehow, even if it's not exactly in the wheelhouse of what, you know, you want to do, you'll find your way. Like the, the cream rises to the top. And so you, um, that's where I think a lot of folks kind of, um, you know, will sacrifice because they think they need a certain title or they need a certain, you know, things like that. You know, it's better you're joining an organization, hopefully for the long term and, um, you know, look for those great organizations and, and check them out. Like that, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I, as I go and I meet with kind of interns or folks, if people don't have like 15 questions for me and I have a meeting with them and they have like two or three questions, I'm like, all right, well, okay, you know, I'm done. And, and, you know, as I talk to my daughters, I'm like, you guys better, you better just pepper this. I don't care if it's a CEO of a fortune 15 company, like you come in peppering with, with questions because they that's what they're there for they're there to like answer those questions and um and i think that's those two i think are a key um 
uh, key to success. Um, and I think I think the last one is, you know, as you're going through and you're starting to work on things, you know, try to understand the why people are asking you to do things. And it's kind of around the curious, but what ends up happening, I think what uh, allowed me to kind of really my career kind of, you know, get uh, get some great opportunities is, you know, I, I often found myself saying, you asked me for A, but I thought about why you asked me for A, and I did A, but I also did B, because if I was you, I'd want B, and here's B, and usually it was B was what they, you know, they didn't brief me all that well, and it's, you probably afraid of, like, you get a crappy brief, and you go, like, I did the brief, but that's probably not what you want, you probably want B, and I think if you stop short of really trying to understand what people are trying to deliver, um, you're not going to be able to separate yourself out. You're just going to kind of be a cog in the machine doing what's being asked of you. And I think you need to find a way to, um, you know, think beyond that and deliver kind of the extra. Yeah. I, I, we, I always say to my team, like, never forget that our phone rang for a reason. Like there is a problem sure. that hasn't been solved. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's not the right problem. Yeah. There's a different problem that we should be looking at. All right. I lied in the spirit of peppering leaders sure, with questions. Sure. I've got one more and then I'll, yeah. I'll let you roll. So, you know, when you've done what you've done for so long, I mean, you have seen, you got a lot of at-bats in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there's still fear. I'm sure there's still like, you know, I, I won't go too cliche, like what keeps you up at night, but fear and courage are kin. And how do you make sure that you unlearn or where do you need to unlearn things that used to be truths? Yeah. And, and now you see them, you're like, okay, is this one of those moments I have to be wary of this? How do you... What's that process like for you? I, I think there's emerging kind of threats that happen on businesses that, you know, weren't the threats that you had before. You used to have threats of customer issues or, you know, people coming after you, competitors, et cetera. And, um, you know, now you have threats of, you know, somebody decides to go on TikTok and has a million viewers and, you know, says something bad about you and it's taken as truth, right? And so, like, you know, those are threats that, it, that initially you know, you'll go and check off a, oh my gosh, what's wrong with this generation being the first response. But actually you have to, you have to workshop that and go like, all right, what is, you know, how do you, how do you handle this now? How do you, how do you engage in uh, different platforms? So I think there is, um, I, I think kind of understanding what those are, I think is probably one of the bigger things that you're, um, keep it up in my but i think the, yeah, that's where like, as a leader, you have to put in the work of like reading and understanding and, sharing you know we're, we're you know there's a lot of members of my team we share like books and articles and different things where we're just trying to kind of understand how to best to react to different things that are going to be changing with uh with the business and so i think it's more so of um trying to keep up on you know what's you know what's changing and also you know i think in, in that kind of staying true to you know your values like if you take in the last you know what is the last two weeks when threads launched or whatever and so we threads launches and we decide how we go out and we get our our handle and, um, you know, you're talking with the team and you're going, guys, we, you know, you're already managing like five social channels to begin with a really small team. Like you're just, your head's going to explode if you can try to add this onto the work pile. Like let's be, let's watch and learn and see how this plays out. And, um, you know, we're happy to be a fast follower. Um, but it's important that we learn about it and understand. So you can't take the learning off the table, but you can, you can take some of the, um, reactionary actions off the table so i think i think as i've gotten you know gotten more perspective you end up spending a lot more time educating yourself well mike thanks for your time man continue to enjoy the ride over there i look yeah. for when when is your last daughter still in high school 
Yeah, so she uh, she just graduated, so she's. Uh, oh, we look forward to you being a California resident soon, then, right? I mean, any any day <laughs> yeah. now. <laughs> Never know. She's going to Boston, so uh, so everything's tied kind of the East Coast. But we'll Everyone's we'll got see. it. Uh, I, I wish you and the business well. I feel differently about the Eagles, which you know. But thank, <laughs> th- thanks for coming on, man. Good to see you. You bet. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Podcast. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. See you again next week.